scripture is uh, in Spanish. It's taken from Mateo, uh, capítulo 8, versículos del 28 al 34, Reina Valera. Uh, in English, it will be out of Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Los endemoniados gadarenos, cuando llegó a la otra orilla, a la tierra de los gadarenos, vinieron a su encuentro dos endemoniados que salían de los sepulcros, feroces en gran manera, tanto que nadie podía pasar por aquel camino, y clamaron diciendo, ¿Qué tienes con nosotros, Jesús, Hijo de Dios? ¿Has venido acá para atormentarnos antes de tiempo? Estaba pasando lejos de ellos un hato de muchos cerdos, y los demonios le rogaron diciendo, Si nos echas fuera, permítenos ir a aquel hato de cerdos. Él les dijo, Id. Ellos salieron y se fueron a aquel hato de cerdos, y he aquí todo el hato de cerdos se precipitó en el mar por un despeñadero, y perecieron en las aguas. Y los que, los, los que lo apacentaban huyeron, y viniendo a la ciudad, contaron todas las cosas y lo que había pasado con los endemoniados. Y toda la ciudad salió al encuentro de Jesús, y cuando le vieron, le rogaron que se fuera de sus contornos. La palabra del Señor. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gatherings, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and the, and the going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus when they saw him. They begged him to leave the region. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jesse. Father, this is your word. And Lord, we ask that it would take root in our lives. Would you grant us, Lord Jesus, to see in our mind's eye the what has been recorded for us, this incredible event that took place in reality. God, give us the faith to believe every detail. Let us see you, Jesus, get out of that boat and step onto that shore and be greeted by two men who were naked and bowing before you and confessing and having a conversation on the beach that revealed they were possessed by demons. And then, Lord, you delivered those men. And I pray, Lord, that if there are people this morning who are oppressed by demons, who are attacked by the enemy, who are weary of fighting spiritual fights, that you would grant deliverance. And God, let us see your glory, Lord Jesus, in all that we do. May we this morning see you, Lord Jesus, as glorious and authoritative and powerful as you are. Please give us the eyes to see. Lord, you said that so often. Whoever has eyes to see, let him see. And whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And Lord, I ask you to do that this morning. By your grace and your mercy, would you do in the spiritual realm what we cannot do? Would you grant freedom, Lord Jesus? Would you let your name be cherished? 
Would you let this people be edified? And Lord, I ask that uh, in everything that we do, there would be faith to believe, as even has just been prayed for our mission partners. Give us faith, Lord, where there is weak faith. And I pray that your will would be done and that your kingdom would come among us this morning. In Christ Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I hope you have your copy of Scripture and you'll keep this open. Uh, this is a, an incredible passage of Scripture which we see um, last week. We'll just catch up where, we, where we've been. We followed Jesus on uh, the a boat to the Sea of the Galilee with Him and His disciples. And they got caught up in a... In a a hurricane, you might say, a, a violent storm. And then the disciples came to Jesus, terrified that they were about to die, and asked, he was asleep in the back of the boat. He woke up and he spoke a word and the entire storm was still. It was calm. And so uh, now the boat has arrived at the shore uh, where Jesus has gone and he's greeted by, quote unquote, two men uh, who came to him immediately as soon as he stepped off the shore. And uh, this, this is the scene. I, w- I wish we could be there. I wish every one of us could stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and see Jesus arrive, step off, and then have this conversation and this interaction with these two men. Because it's incredible. All th- three of the Gospels record this. Matthew, Luke, and, John, uh, and Mark record this event. Uh, so this is important. Um, But not only do we see Jesus calming storms, we also see him commanding spirits. And we need to understand what the point of this passage is. Who is this Jesus? That was a question that the disciples asked when he calmed the storm. And they suddenly went from a category five to a calm breeze on the Sea of Galilee. Their question at the end of verse 27, if you got your copy of scripture, who is this guy? What sort of man is he who can command storms and they obey? That's the question. So where are we? Let's get the geography. We are, the location is the Sea of Galilee on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has crossed over and that's where he's standing. And if you're like me, you wonder, we've got the location, but now let's ask the question, what's the purpose? What is this passage here for? Um, if you instantly just sort of read over this, you might think, ah, demons. It's about demons, right? We're all fascinated with demons. Every horror show has 10 or 12 in it or uh, so forth. We're, you know, curious when somebody tells you, that, you know, I, when I was a kid, you know, this happened. Uh, we can easily get transfixed in thinking about demons um, and all kinds of questions get evoked in, in having read this passage, I'm sure. Some of the questions that I came up with. What is demon possession? All right? Who can be demon possessed? Can Christians be possessed by demons? Uh, where, uh, why did these demons call Jesus the Son of God? Well, why did they say that as soon as he arrived? How come Mark and Luke tell us there were about 2,000 pigs and Matthew leaves that out? He doesn't even mention the number of pigs. Matthew gives us about six verses of this. Mark gives us 20. Luke gives us 13. What's Matthew doing here? Uh, where did the, where did the demon, I mean, why did the demons go into the pigs and why did the pigs run off into the water? And what happened with the demons after the pigs died? Where, where did they go after that? All, all kinds of questions run through at least my head. I don't know what happens when you read the Bible. I hope you're, you're engaged. And so the question is, what is this about? Is, is Matthew's purpose 
to, to cause you to be curious about Jesus or about demons? What's the, what's the purpose of this passage? Is it, to, is it to pique your interest in supernatural stuff? Or is he trying to illustrate something about Jesus that you need to know and believe? That, that's the real question, and the context can help us. But what's, what's the main point? What's the big idea? When you're studying Scripture, you need to know, what is this about? Because if you think it's about one thing, you start looking for stuff. If you think it's about something else, you start, okay, let's look at this. So question, is this about demons or is this about Jesus? Now let's go back, if you have your copy of Scripture. Matthew's been doing something, so we need the context. Context is king. If you've ever heard uh, theologians will say often, the context is king. Helps us understand what we've been doing. So I'm going to quickly point you to look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have a physical page, you know, scroll back if you're on your device uh, to chapter, end of chapter 7. We have this verse, and when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowd were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. This is about authority. And then Matthew gives us several examples of the authority of Jesus. So this is my argument. This passage is about the authority and the power of Jesus, not about demons. Why? Because after, the, after saying this, he then gives us authority over disease. Look at the beginning of chapter 8. Jesus heals a man who is a leper. He demonstrates Jesus' authority over disease. Second, at verses 5 to 13, Matthew points out Jesus' authority over distance. Jesus heals somebody. He's not even near them. He simply speaks a word, and this paralyzed servant is healed. Jesus has authority over difference, over distance. And then we have healing of Peter's mother-in-law and many others who were sick. He's beginning to introduce Jesus' authority over spirits. Here there's a, he casts out spirits with a word. And now Matthew here uh, in verse 18, authority over disciples. Jesus, I want to follow you. I'll go wherever you go. Jesus, Really? It's, it's, a, it's a whole lot costlier to follow me than you think. Authority over disciples. Then we have authority over a storm in verses 23 to 27. And now, authority over spirits. Now, we've, he's hinted at this at the, in verse 16 in chapter 8. Jesus has hinted, I mean, Matthew has hinted at Jesus' authority over casting out spirits. But what's different about this passage is there's a bunch of them here. Not just one spirit, there are many that are involved. These are unclean spirits, and there is a lot of them. And so the purpose of this passage is to show you the absolute astounding power of Jesus over not just one demon, a whole group of them, a whole troop of demons Jesus has power over. So the question you should be asking is, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? Because what's astonishing, we'll see, is demons are afraid of Jesus. Not just one, but all of them are afraid of Jesus. And Mike, they bow before Jesus. Mark and Luke tell us, these two men, when they approached Jesus, they fell on their face. They knelt in front of him. And they, if this group of demons are afraid of Jesus, I'm just wondering, what's your attitude about Jesus? Do you have that kind of awe and reverent respect 
for Jesus. So that's where we're going. Now, a couple of objections. People stumble over this story and think this is made up. It's not true. Primarily because, a couple of reasons. One, Matthew says how many guys are there? Two. Mark and Luke both only mention one. So some people would say, made up. Contradiction. Bible contradicts itself. Uh, well, I think that's easily explained by one guy was the primary speaker who was engaging Jesus in the conversation. That, that's easy to understand. You, you, you meet somebody at the mall, you bump into me and my wife at the mall, and, and we happen to have um, you know, a conversation about football. I think the conversation is probably going to be between me and you. We're going to be talking about, at least you can talk about football. She's on a fantasy team. She's there with us, which is amazing. You know, when I had a list of things that I wanted in a wife, uh, you know, in, engaged in my sports affinities was, was, it was way down on the bottom. But to actually join a fantasy team with you, she's incredible. But now, you're going to have a conversation with me. You might later say something like, you know, I, I saw Todd at the mall. We had, you know, we're talking about fantasy football, yada, yada, yada. And, and then subsequently you discover, well, well, Lisa was there too. Well, you didn't tell me Lisa was there. Well, I wasn't primarily talking with Lisa. I was talking with Todd. You, but you can easily see how one person can be the primary speaker. That's not a problem. But Matthew tells us there's two. I think it's probably because if he's illustrating the power and the authority of Jesus, it's, 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 there's a greater sense of opposition when you have two enemies standing in front of you rather than one. So it could be that the purpose is different. So it's not a contradiction. It's more of a concentration based upon the point. And the second problem comes from where did this happen? Um, it, there's actually three different names, depending upon your copy of Scripture, when you look at the different Gospels, uh, the different Gospels will have different locations. There's the Gadarenes, the Gerasenes, or the Gergesenes. There's actually three different cities in all of this. And again, some people say, uh, it's, it's made up. It didn't actually happen because we don't know where. One, the Gospels, Matthew says one thing, Luke says another. And actually, I think this also, with a little bit of study, helps us understand that the Gad Gadara or Gadara was a kind of regional capital that entailed all of the coastline of the shore. And so Matthew is writing towards a Jewish audience. And so he um, illustrates a place that the Jews would know. Luke, Mark are writing to more Gentile audiences. And so they, they, they understand uh, one of the cities they will mention, the, the smaller village where this took place so that their, author, their audience would understand what the location is. So it just depends on audience. It's the same, it's a large area. You see it on the map. I wanted you to see the map because this encompasses one region, but we're zooming in in one author's perspective and zooming out from another's. It's kind of like me saying, if you here know the area, if I tell you I went running around Horn Pond in Woburn. You guys know where Woburn is, most of you. So it's easy for me for a local audience to explain a local position. But if I'm writing home to my family in Kentucky and I'm saying, I, I, I ran around Horn Pond in Boston. They don't know Woburn, but they might know Boston. So that's, I believe, what is happening. So it's not contradiction. Concentration given the audience. So now let's jump in. If, if I'm right in understanding what Matthew is doing is illustrating the power and authority of Jesus. And let's see how the information that he gives us 
points us in that direction. So first, the supernatural strength of these two men. Look at verse 28 with me. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, so they met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. These men, these two men, are demonized. They are plagued by demons, and they have demons abiding within their bodies, and they are so strong, so fierce, Matthew tells us. They are fierce. Nobody can even go by them. Nobody can even pass by the location where they're living. They're living in the tombs. They're not living in the houses. They're living in the little anterooms of big tombs or out in empty tombs that have been uh, broken open. They're living out in the wilderness. They're on an uninhabited region of the Sea of Galilee. Nobody travels that way. Everybody has learned, don't go near them. It won't go well. Luke, Mark also tell us they had been bound with chains. Others had tried to subdue them and bind them with a chain, but these guys with the demons within them were so powerful, they tore the chains apart. Nobody could bind them. And that's what Matthew tells us. No one could pass that way. You go around. You don't go near where these guys are because they are so fierce. They have supernatural strength. Nobody passes that way. So one demon is stronger than one man. One spiritual being is stronger than many men. You know this. In the book of Acts, for example, we have a a story where seven Jewish men who were sons of a high priest had taken it upon themselves when they discovered the power of the name of Jesus to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. And they encountered a man who had one demon. And when they came in, this particular demon said to them, I know who Paul is, I know who Jesus is, but I don't know who you guys are. And he overpowered all seven of them, and they went out of the house wounded and naked. One demon overpowered seven of them. These men have many demons within them, we are told. We're not told how many in Matthew's accounting here. We're just told there are many. And so they are incredibly strong due to the supernatural presence of these uh, demons within them. And so these two men are very powerful because of the presence of the demons. So their supernatural strength, first thing to see on how this story points to Jesus's power and authority. Second, look at the recognition of the demons in verse 29. They recognized Jesus. Verse 29, behold, they cried out. So they ran out to meet him and they cried out, which literally means they screamed. They cried out, what have you to do with us, O son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? They came to him. Jesus just getting out of the boat. And Luke tells us as soon as his feet hit the beach, they were there, these men saying, what what are you doing here? What have you to do with us? We don't commune with each other. We're not on the same team. Why are you here? And they're asking a question, but they look at what they call him. What do they refer to him as? Oh, son of God. They know who he is. They recognize him. What's incredibly interesting is you just think about where we just came from, the story of the calming of the sea. What was the question that the disciples asked when the sea went calm? What did they say? Who is this guy? And then they arrive on the shore and two demon-possessed men come to answer the question. And they say, oh, son of God, we know exactly who you are. The disciples may have been doubting who Jesus was, or trying to figure it out. There's no question of who Jesus is from the perspective of these demons. 
And I want to ask you something. How, when, when you're traveling and you see someone far away, you're off in the distance, and, and you, you recognize someone, how do you recognize them? You've seen them before, right? You, you can recognize someone because you've met them before. Or you read the Demon Daily Times and the news is out who Jesus is. Now, I, I, I'm wondering, when did they meet? How do they know? How do they have this knowledge? These demons have some kind of knowledge that is prior to this experience. And so where did they, what is it, the 40 days when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness? Did they bump into him? Did they show up and was that when it was? Or was it at the beginning of time when the angelic realm disobeyed God and revolted from him, and God passed judgment on all of those unclean spirits, all of those angels who fell. Is that when they met? The point is, they know who he is. There's, there's no question, no hint of equivocation on the part of these demons. They know him. They recognize him. That's the second point. It points to who Jesus is, his identity, his authority, and his power. Third, look at the response of the demons to them. Not only do they say he is the son of God, they say, what have you to do with us? We are completely different. Sometimes we like to play with sin and we don't have this perspective. When you, we justify our sin, we rationalize our sin. I want to encourage you to think like these demons thought. Righteousness, goodness, holiness and sin have nothing to do with each other. Don't let sin into your life. Don't toy with sin. Don't play with what you know to be evil. Keep it far away from you. We have nothing to do. And look at what do they say. Have you come here, verse 29, to torment us before the time? They're afraid of Jesus. Being in his presence was, is the beginning of ideas of temptation. I mean, of torment in their mind. Being in his presence, they feel like, are you coming to torment us? And isn't this true? Good and righteousness in the presence of evil is, is like torment. Let me read you Psalms 18, 26 says this. With the pure, you, the speaking to God, the psalmist is speaking to God. With the purified, or those who are pure, you show yourself pure. But with the crooked, you make yourself seem torturous. Right? Wicked people, hate-filled people, evil people in the presence of someone who is good and righteous can't stand to be in the same room with them. And that's where these demons are like, what have you to do with us? We, we don't have anything in common, so what are you doing here? And is it, have you come to torment us before the time? That's interesting, isn't it? They know that a time has been appointed when their condemnation is certain. Perhaps they're asking a question. I thought we had a little more time. Is it now? What is happening? You know that, right? There is a day of judgment set. There is an appointed day, not only for unclean spirits, but for every person, good or bad, every person righteous or unrighteous. So there will be a day which we will all stand before the Lord. And Peter says this, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them into chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. There is a day of judgment that is set. Unclean spirits are fallen angels. They're angels who have sinned. And you're, what is a demon? 
The demon is a former angel who has sinned in rebellion against God and has been condemned. Uh, and angels don't get any grace, by the way. One footnote here. They sinned once and condemnation forever was given. There's no grace in the angelic world. The author of Hebrews says, it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. I'm talking about Jesus. I mean, there's no salvation for angels. When I was a little kid, I used to think, man, if we could just get Satan converted, wouldn't that save everybody a whole lot of trouble? So I, I'm going to pray for Satan. Let's pray for him. You ever have a little kid? Kill a little kid, you do that? If we could just get him on our team, everything would be all right. That, that won't work. He's condemned. He does not receive grace. And Matthew says, Jesus says this, and Matthew 25, 41, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Right? The, the angels who rebelled and followed Satan in rebellion against God are condemned. And that's the unclean spirit that we have bumped into. Some of them are allowed to roam this earth. Like Satan, when he came and presented himself before God in the book of Job, God said, where have you been? You're walking to and fro, up and down on the earth. And so some of them are given permission, but the chains of gloomy darkness means that their condemnation is absolutely certain. There will come a day when judgment will be granted. No, none of them get a shot at grace at all. And notice that these demons say, have you, Jesus, come to torment us? They understand they're going to be standing before Jesus. It will be Jesus who will pronounce the condemnation upon these wicked angels, these fallen angels of these demons. And we saw that in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't we? Jesus said, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all kinds of cool stuff in your name? And he was, I never knew you. He says, I will say it, right? And coming to me, it will be Jesus that's the final judge. So that second point then is the response of the demons. And now third, look at the request. Verse 31. Now, a herd of many pigs, not numbered, was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Right? The request of the demons points to the authority and the identity of who Jesus is. They have a clue of what's coming. If you're going to cast us out, can we go into them? They know what's happening. Jesus is about to cast them out. They're about to lose their place of residence. They have a, a hint at what is about to unfold. And so they ask, can we please go into the, peg, into the pigs? But how did they ask? They begged. They pleaded with him. Now remember, who are these? These are the demons who no man could contain. No one could bind them. No one could keep them into one location. They broke chains. They were stronger than any human being. And now here, yet kneeling before Jesus, they beg him, please let us go into the pigs. Please. They beg. Demons beg Jesus. And Jesus grants their request, which is the fourth thing that points to his power and his authority and his identity. Verse 32. What does Jesus say? He said to them, what? Go. One word. He didn't jump. He didn't yell. He didn't scream. He didn't do a dance and start shouting some incantation that lasted four hours and 27 minutes. He just said, go. One word from Jesus and this 
all of the demons in these two men, gone into the pigs. And you might be wondering, why? Is this cruelty to animals? Why go into the pigs? I mean, seriously. How will, who's, there's some people watching this, by the way, right? There's some herdsmen who are watching this. How are they going to know? You don't see demons in a person, right? It's a spiritual reality that is unseen. How are they going to realize that these guys have actually been healed? It's when the whole herd of pigs take off down the cliff. Jesus is providing a visual manifestation of something that happened, a transaction that actually happened in the spiritual realm and manifested in the physical realm so that they could see something really happened to these guys. There was a real and physical manifestation. They, were, they took off into the pigs. I, I think, you know, when you ask the question, well, why did the pigs run down the cliff? I don't think they liked the new arrangement. I don't think they like the presence of evil in their lives. And so we're not tolerating this. I don't know what the pigs were thinking. But can you imagine what took place? And they are over the cliff and into the water, into the abyss, which is where all of Satan and his enemies will one day end up. But a visible proof has just been manifested to these watching herdsmen. And look at verse 33, what happens? The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially about what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Now, they told everything. We can understand the everything because they don't want to get blamed for the loss of the herd. We got that. But what's interesting is Matthew highlights that their primary testimony was about what happened to the men, not the pigs, especially the pigs. They said, guys, you know the naked nut jobs that hang out in the tombs? They're clothed and in their right mind. Those guys, something happened to them. You don't have to, you can travel that road now. They're, they're okay. They have been set free. They hear this. This is what the hurt, this is especially. They say, hey guys, we lost the pigs. But guess what happened to the men? Now look at the response of the people. This tragic conclusion which also points to the power and the authority of Jesus. Verse 34. Behold, the city came out. They all came out to meet Jesus. You think, that's great. If we could just, if we could just get people to meet Jesus. If we could, right, my little two-year-old or four-year-old self or whatever, if I just get Satan to meet Jesus, if he could just really see who Jesus really is, they're on their way to meet Jesus, right? This is going to be good. The whole, it'll be like the woman at the well who she went back and said, hey guys, I just met some guy. He told me everything I've done. He's wonderful. Why don't you come meet him? And here these, come and meet him. They go out to them and what? What do they do? They met Jesus and they begged him to leave. Some more begging going on, but they don't want him to stay. What is happening here when you meet the Son of God? You meet the man who set free the two men whom nobody could help. These two men, imagine these two men. Their lives have been changed, completely changed. And, and now Jesus is the one who, he set them free. He has effected their freedom 
And everybody in town does what? What? It's, look at the time. Jesus, why don't you just keep moving? Sorry. Why don't you go on? Just keep moving. We don't want you in our town. The pigs were more precious, weren't they? The loss of the pigs were more precious. They considered that more valuable than the freedom of these two men. What do you value? Possessions? Spiritual freedom? Isn't this a great challenge for us who are wealthy? And we all are in this room. When Jesus said really hard for rich people to get into the kingdom of heaven, he wasn't talking about everybody else. He's talking about me and you. Every one of us. We like our stuff. These folks loved their stuff. And they didn't want to lose their stuff. And if Jesus is going to come in and start disrupting what I spend my money on, maybe he should just keep going. What a tragedy. Don't let that be you. Don't do what these people did. And so as we think about this, I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. One thing, this was a Gentile area. The, the, the keeping of pigs, Jews would not have kept them. The Decapolis was a Gentile region. Jesus got in a boat, crossed the Sea of Galilee to go set these two guys free. You know what happens in chapter 9? He, he does. He goes back. Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee to set these two Gentile men free. And then Luke tells us, and so does Mark, these, these, this, at least one of these guys wanted to follow Jesus and said, can we go with you? Can we come with you? And Jesus said, no, I want you to do something. I want you to go home and tell your family and your friends what the Lord has done for you. The first evangelists in the Gentile regions were these two guys. They did it. They went back and they told the entire Decapolis, all 10 cities, what that means. They told them what Jesus had done. They didn't stay, but Jesus loves Gentiles too. And my hope for you is to see, Jesus doesn't avoid messed up people. He goes after them. These two guys were seriously messed up. And you know some messed up people. Maybe you're one of them. And you think, Jesus doesn't care about me. I'm, I have sinned too much. I have gone too far. I have rebelled too long. My heart is too hard. I, I, he does not care about me. I am a lost cause. If there's anybody who is a lost cause, it's these two guys who uh, many demons were in them, and yet Jesus goes and he sets them free. Jesus goes after messed up people. What does Luke tell us? The Son of Man came to seek and save what? Those who were lost. You, you lost and messed up? Don't think that Jesus won't seek to save you. He has come to, to help messed up people. Second thing I'd like to leave you with is demons are real. There is a very real spiritual realm that we can't see that is actually real. And Keith Green wrote a song back in the 80s, I think. It said, you know, the greatest weapon that Satan has come up with is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist anymore. In this church's statement of faith, we make it clear that we believe there is a, a real personality called Satan, a real person who is a real enemy who has a realm of followers with whom we are engaged. And you heard it this morning, we're not, 
We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not fighting people. We are fighting spiritual forces who really exist. Pay attention, folks. We need to realize this is real. There is a sense in which there are spiritual forces who oppose us and we need to stay away from them. But don't fear because even many demons are terrified of Jesus. Terrified of him. If you come to torment us, don't be afraid of demons. What happens when you realize a whole troop of demons obey Jesus with one word? And now, what is your opinion of Jesus? He who commands demonic spirits, he who calms storms, this is the one who seeks out messed up people in order to set them free, in order to grant healing. There's no authority like Jesus. There's no name on the planet like Jesus. There's no other name by which any of us can be saved or set free from demonic oppression or whatever chaos is in your life other than by the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the highest name. His name is the only name through whom freedom can come. And if you're trapped, if you're enslaved in sin, if you're, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're trapped in this depression of your thoughts overtaking you, you can't get out. There's someone who can set you free, and his name is Jesus. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you to pray with me, because the question is, what sort of man is he? What sort of man is Jesus? The answer is, he's the only man who is also the Son of God. He is the only one to whom every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, every knee will bow to him. And he is the one who can set you free. He is the highest authority. Don't fear demon. <laughs> bow in humble, fearful adoration to a man called Jesus of Nazareth. And I want, I want to ask you, because this, this passage points out something to me. There are strongholds in our lives that Satan has, that demons have, we can give place. Remember what Paul says? Don't let your son, don't let anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give place to the devil. Right? Holding on to bitterness or anger is one of the ways that gives a place for the devil to set up camp in your life. There's lots of those places. When we're harboring sin, when we're keeping sin in our pocket, we think nobody sees, what we discover is that the devil has a, a foothold in our lives. And I want you to see, Jesus can set you free. He is the one who can command demons to be gone. And so I'm going to pray right now. And I would like to invite you, if you're one of those people, you've got a secret stronghold in your life, I, I want you to name it. I want you to write it down in a minute. I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you, Lord, is there any place in my life that I have given Satan a place to be at home? If, if he has, I want you to write it down. Don't let anybody see. Nobody's going to look. Everybody's just going to, this is between you and the Lord. And I'm going to ask you when we pray to, to ask the Lord to reveal to you, is there some stronghold in your life? Write it on a piece of paper and then and you're going to pray with me and ask the Lord, set me free. 
Because the, there is no authority, there is no other name on earth by which freedom can happen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we come to you right now and we confess that you are the Son of God. You are the Messiah. You are the first and the last. You are the beginning and the end. You existed or this world existed. You will exist long after all of these Elements that you have created are forever changed. And Lord, I ask you, give us faith to believe that you can truly set us free. And Lord, I, I want you to, right now, as we seek your face, all of us in this room, including the worship team, as we seek your face, Will you reveal to us any strongholds in our lives? Lord, bring it to mind. Let us write it down. And Lord Jesus, I ask you, give us the power to confess our sins and to believe that you not only will you cleanse us, you will forgive us, you will restore us. You will put us in our right minds like you did with these men. So, Father, I ask you, reveal to us anything that is a, a sinful stronghold in our lives that needs to be set free. And Jesus, I pray, give us the faith to believe. You command a word, and they're gone. Deliver your people. As we trust in you right now, Lord Jesus, we know you are alive this very moment and your command will be obeyed. So God, turn our hearts away from sin. Turn us away from lust. Turn us away from envy. Turn us away from bitterness. Turn your people away, Lord Jesus, from pornography. Turn us away from sensuality. Turn us away from sexual sin. Lord, grant us a love for everything that is righteous and pure and holy. And Lord Jesus, let us see you as the one true, risen Lord, King of all, Master of the universe, sovereign Savior who died to set us free. By your blood, Lord Jesus, grant freedom. And Lord Jesus, grant salvation to those who need your spirit. Your word tells us if we come to you in faith, you will give your spirit to those who ask. And I pray, Lord Jesus, pour out your spirit on lost souls, on those who are messed up, who are lonely, who are enslaved in thinking and have believed lies, Lord Jesus. Would you grant your spirit and set us free? Let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. It is in your powerful name that we pray, in your mighty name that we pray, and believe that with you all things are possible. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.